It's time to talk sports. It's Hacksaw's Headlines. A panorama of the world of sports. Stories, comments, and opinions. Now, here's iconic sports talk show host Lee Hacksaw Hamilton and co-host John Riley. It's a Thursday across Southern California. Who wants to talk sports? We do. Good afternoon, everyone. This is Lee Hacksaw Hamilton, along with my co-host, John Riley. We welcome you to our weekly podcast. We ask your forgiveness that we are wearing masks. We had a bit of a COVID issue in master control, but we've decided to be careful. But we are here ready to talk sports. And, John, we've got a ton of topics on the table coming off our off week. Before we start, for everybody that's watching us on the stream, Fans Forum, briefly explain how our viewers and listeners can get access to what we're doing on the podcast. Yeah, so Fans Forum gives you an opportunity to get involved. You know, you maybe you have a hot take, you have a question for Hacksaw. Just type it in on either Facebook or on YouTube. We'll see the comments on the screen here. And at the end of the podcast, we'll take your comments and your questions. So just load it up right now. We'll be able to see them here. But that's your way to get involved in the Fans Forum. John, there's an awful lot to talk about. We're getting to the end of the baseball season. Let's start there. Where would you like to start? Because there are so many storylines in different major league cities to talk about. I mean, we got to talk about baseball. I mean, this is the, the pennant race is going. The Padres seem to have turned the corner. They're looking really sharp. And there's a lot going on in New York. So let's talk baseball. Let's start with the Padres right now. They have forged their way back into the wild card race. Right now they have the second wild card slot. Finishing up with the series with the Cardinals, the Padres go to Colorado. It won't be easy, but the Rockies are really a down baseball team. And then they get the Dodgers the final three games. The Padres are getting tremendous starting pitching. The Padres, though, need more hitting. Manny Machado is having an MVP-type season. He's hit 30 home runs. His batting average is hovering around 300. He's really become the leader of the team. To me, John, the shocker is that Juan Soto has just staggered so badly. I mean, I could never have imagined that Juan Soto would be in the middle of a 3-for-48 slump. Now, he's hit a little bit better in the past week, but they need him to be hot to make Machado hotter. And at this point of the equation... I don't know what kind of soda we're going to get the last week and a half of September and when we get to the wild card series because they're going to play three games on the road against somebody. He's got a hit. Are, are you r- r- surprised there's been such a struggle for a guy who had a career batting average of two ninety one when he was traded from Washington to San Diego? Well, yeah, I mean, because when... The Padres got Soto. Everyone was saying he's Tony Gwynn with power. Mm -hmm. Um, I thought that was a great analogy. But he comes to the team. He goes into a slump. Josh Bell hasn't been hitting the way he was before we got him. I mean, it's like, what's going on in the drinking water at Petco Park? But, yeah, I mean, we need these guys to step up if we have any shot in the playoffs. Now, you asked the question about the Padres. I would say this, going to a three-game wild-card series. Yeah, I'd, I'd lay my cards on the table if you, Darvish, is my starter in the first game. And Blake Snell, who has finally found himself as the starter in the second game. And a fairly trustworthy Joe Musgrove is a starter in the third game. Good pitching beats good hitting. And that's pretty good pitching. And it, these guys right now are pretty much dialed in. And it looks like Josh Hader and Tim Hill have solved their issues in the bullpen. So in a three-game series, even if it's on the road, if I'm running those guys out to the mound, 
I think that's really a positive. So we'll see where this goes. The Dodgers are on their way to maybe 105 wins by the first of the week, maybe 110 wins by the end of the season. Spectacular year. Dodgers continue to hit. But the big issue is the Dodgers pitching staff is a little bit nicked up. But we'll see what happens the final couple weeks of the season. And, of course, the Dodgers will get a first-round bye. And they look as if they're going to have home field advantage for all the playoff series, including the World Series, if they get there. So we get, we got the Padres that we're watching as they track the final end of the season. Now, there's so many other baseball storylines out there, John. Uh, let's just talk about a couple of other things. Home Run Derby. His name is Aaron Judge. He's in a free agent contract year. Aaron Judge breaking Babe Ruth's 60 home run mark. Roger Maris's 61 home run mark. Now, he won't catch Barry Bonds. But if I ask you, what's the first word that comes to your mind when you think about home run record, Bonds, and Mark McGuire? What's the first word that pops into your mind? Well, you're thinking steroids. Okay, so that's the question. Yeah. Barry Bonds' record is 73 home runs. Right. I don't know anybody I'll cross paths with, including you, that would think that that record has any legitimacy. So, in essence, Aaron Judge, good guy, Fresno State guy, uh, is about to bypass the 60 record, the 61 home run record, and maybe he finishes up with 65 or 68 home runs. He's a triple crown candidate. That's the other thing that nobody's discussing. I mean, last I checked, he was hitting 318 with 125 RBIs, and he's had so many injuries in the Yankee lineup around him, John. That's an amazing accomplishment. And, you know, last year, he was hurt. He was on and off the DL. The whole Yankee batting order was on and off the DL the whole year. So what's your take on Judge? Are you surprised at the kind of statistics he's had? I mean, he's been amazing. And he's had the potential for so long. I think we're surprised that he's hitting for average the way he is. But, I mean, what a story. I mean, you know, we talked about Tatis as the face of baseball. But now it's Aaron Judge. And he's playing for the number one, the marquee team in the league. And he's a California guy. He was, you know, raised up near Stockton, went to Fresno State. Um, he's a good guy. He's doing it for all the right reasons. I mean, you got as a fan, you got to love what he's doing. And he's in a contract year. Can you <laughs> believe the triple crown numbers? Yeah. He, has, he has put up the other baseball item. The commissioner got what he wanted. Rob Manfred had been demanding changes in the rules for baseball. And, John, going towards 2023, they're instituting new rules. We'll start with the pitch clock. Uh, 15 seconds between pitches. I like that one. A great deal. Uh, I, I, I don't think you're going to see pitchers violate that rule very often. Once they get into the recognition of there's the clock, I'll get the sign I'll set and go and throw. Uh, item two, uh, they have eliminated the shift. Uh, again, analytics has changed the game of baseball. The new rule starting next year, you can only have two infielders on one side of second base, the other two infielders on the other side of second base. You can't have four guys in the outfield any longer. And the no-dirt rule, the infielders have to have their spikes positioned on the infield dirt, you can't play 10 feet back on the grass and kind of be a mini outfielder. I think that's a real positive. Uh, batter box rule. Hitter can only step out of the batter box one time. None of this junk adjusting my gloves between every pitch and all that. <laughs> right. I think that's a positive. Now, 
pace of play is what Rob Manfred has demanded that had to be improved in Major League Baseball. You know, they'd already made some changes. Uh, relief pitchers have to face a minimum three batters. Uh, you limit how many visits to the mound you can have, whether it's the catcher, the first baseman, third baseman, pitching coach, etc. They tested these specific rules we just talked about in the minor leagues the last two years. Minor League Baseball's average time was three hours and eight minutes. With the new rules in effect, John, two hours and 38 minutes. They have really changed the pace of Major League Baseball. So I, I like the changes. I like the elimination of the shift because I think it really badly damaged the game. Your fan, what's your reaction? Well, I mean, it's interesting that we've got some of the best players in the league, like like Cronenworth, for example, is an all-star. He's hitting in the 240s. But if the shift didn't exist, you've got to believe he's got 25 extra points on his batting average. So that's definitely taken away a lot from the uh, from the offensive production, you know, the excitement in the game. But you know, they also uh, are making the bases bigger. You know, so I don't know how big of a difference that's going to be. Maybe it's going to eliminate some collisions, kind of a safety thing. But I see all of these as positives. Yeah. Uh, going forward, they're trying to address things that have changed the game, slowed down the game, and I think to a degree were the, to the detriment of the game. So, And the union agreed to allow Rob Manfred to make those changes. Okay, let's go from baseball. Where do you want to go next? Well, I mean, the NFL has just been unbelievable. This, this, we were just finishing week two. Let's, let's, let's talk football. Let's talk about the Charger young quarterback, Justin Herbert. This is the update as we get with you on a Thursday going towards the Charger-Jacksonville game on Sunday. Justin Herbert, very limited practice. Uh, uh, did stretching on Wednesday, limited soft toss throwing on Thursday. We'll do another walkthrough on Friday. He has fractured rib cartilage, not on a hit, but as he was getting sacked, he fell, and the left side fell, all 220 pounds of him fell onto the helmet of a Kansas City player last Sunday. That's how he injured the ribs. He didn't break them. But he fractured cartilage. It's a really painful injury, John. Will he wear a heavy flak jacket? Yes, if he plays. Will they give him a painkiller? Yeah, they probably will. I think the issue we need to consider with Justin Herbert, how limited is he to execute what he has to do as a starting quarterback? Well, heavy flak jacket, the throwing motion, because he'll be stretching that area where the rib cartilage damage is, and obviously the risk, he's going to take another sack. He won't be able to run, so I think they'll divine, devise a playbook set of plays that keeps him in the pocket. Now, whether they go max protect and have one less receiver and keep in an extra blocker, watch for that against Jacksonville. It's, it's up to him as to what he feels. Can he play close to 100% with all the stuff going on? Or are they better set to sit him for another week and then play him a week from now? They could beat Jacksonville with a backup quarterback. Right. Run the football. Defense goes after Trevor Lawrence. Tough call. I am always in favor of player safety, especially this player, and how important it is to him for this franchise to be what he was. I don't know that I'd play him because I, I still think he'd be very limited. And I still think 
he won't be able to execute all the things that makes Justin Herbert great. Are you better to have the backup quarterback, a 14, 15, 16-year veteran, and Chase Daniel just run the system and run the offense and make some plays and at the same time hope your defense can get after Trevor Lawrence? What would you do? Yeah, I, 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 I agree with you. I think they, they can beat Jacksonville without Herbert. But you know, every week is so precious in the NFL. They can't sacrifice one week. So I say you start Herbert, you see how it goes, and if he's limited and the, and the game is maybe in the balance, you might have to make a change. I think we're going to argue about this off the air, about risk versus reward. I think there's too much risk. The reward is to have him for the next 14 games after after the Jacksonville game. I think his heart is willing. Is his, is his body able to execute it? That, that remains to be seen. Now, you've got some other topics here about other quarterbacks around the National Football League. Yeah, I mean, there are a lot of quarterbacks that had incredible games. I mean, I was watching the, the games over on, on Sunday. And, you know, let's take a look at Tua over in, uh, in Miami. I mean, he had a hell of a game. Tua Tagovailoa was a high first-round draft pick. Uh, and you and I talked on our NFL preview show a couple of weeks ago. Is he a game manager? They need him to be a game-breaker. Well, what Tua did against the Baltimore Ravens was unbelievable. 36 for 50, 463 through the air, four touchdowns in 12 minutes in the fourth quarter against an injury-ravaged Baltimore Ravens defense. Tua has arrived. And obviously what's made him much more dangerous is the combo of wide receiver Tyreek Hill and the first-round pick of a year ago, Jalen Waddell. Right. Last week, John... 22 receptions, 361 yards for those two wide receivers. Wow. This kid, this kid is really dynamic. He is growing. Uh, Yeah, breakout game, very much so. And this weekend, Buffalo, Miami. How about that showdown (laughs) in the AFC East? And that takes us to the next quarterback we want to talk about, what Josh Allen has become with the Buffalo Bills. They're unbeaten. They throw the ball downfield. Stephon Diggs last week had 12 receptions alone. They got a really good tight end that catches a ton of balls. It's taken them a couple of years to solidify the run game. And their defense goes and gets your quarterback. Holy cow. So we got Buffalo. We got Miami. And Josh Allen, most everybody of the opinion right now, based on what he did last year and what he is doing this year, is truly an MVP candidate. Your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, he's having a hell of a season. Like I always said, I root for the guy because he's a Mountain West guy. He's a he's a California guy. But you know what? He's getting some national uh, like commercial endorsements. I'm seeing him on, on in on, in in the ads on TV. I mean, I'm rooting for the kid, you know. But uh, it's nice to see that the AFC. East, there's a lot of change. It's no longer the Patriots division. Now let's see if Miami can give the Bills a run. Next quarterback, you know who he is and what he does. We're talking about Patrick Mahomes. You know, Brandon Staley, on a, on a conference call last week, talked about the dynamics of Mahomes. And the one comment he made came back to haunt him in the Thursday night win over the char- uh, Chargers. He made a comment, something to the effect... Patrick Mahomes can take a broken play and create a big play out of a broken play. Hmm. And Mahomes, two touchdown passes against the Chargers, flushed out of the pocket on one, rolled left, threatened to run, pulled up, shot put it, a nine-yard touchdown pass to his running back, Kansas City, gets back in the game. 
Next possession, flushed out of the pocket, looked as if he was going to try to run to an open seam, pulled up, 41-yard touchdown pass to his tight end. Both of them off broken plays. Brandon Staley said, this is what this guy does, and the guy did it on Thursday night. And we asked the question, would they be the same team without Tyreek Hill? Well, I guess the answer is yes, because they're putting up staggering numbers, and they got other young guys with speed that are now part of the equation. The Kansas City is really good. I know there's a lot of football still to be played. But for them, John, to get off the deck when they were down 17-7 and a 100-yard interception taken back the other way, changed the whole chemistry of the game at Arrowhead, and then Kansas City totally dominated. And Kansas City came out of character on defense because Andy Reid dialed up blitz packages. In the second half against Justin Herbert, they went out and they made a ton of defensive plays. They changed the whole chemistry of the game. And then, of course, Herbert got got hurt on a couple of big hits. But Kansas City looks like they're a complete team in the post-Tyreek Hill era. Yeah, I mean, it's just incredible how they just keep reloading. So Andy Reid's got a good system. He's got the right personnel. And when you got Mahomes, a quarterback, great things are going to happen. I'll use a word here. Beast in the East. Now, aside <laughs> from Miami, let's talk about what's happening in Philadelphia. Boy, is Jalen Hurts putting up phenomenal numbers. And the Eagles are unbeaten. They've been building towards this the last couple of years. And, you know, their first-year coach last year, Nick Sirianni, uh, I thought did a pretty good job. Well, now now they are really deep at running back. They have multiples of running backs. They're really deep at wide receiver and tight end. And you got Jalen Hurts throwing Jalen Hurts running. In the first half of their game on Sunday, Jalen Hurts had 305 total yards in the first half. And he's dangerous if he moves the pocket, and he can move the pocket, and he's dangerous when he runs, and he throws on the run, and he's going downfield. Boy, they look like they might be the beast of the East. Yeah, I mean, I was watching that game. They were playing the Vikings, right? So, so, you know, Kevin O'Connell, another local guy, I was rooting for the Vikings, and all of a sudden, yeah, Hurts just lit it up. So, um, yeah, the Eagles in, in Philly seem to be the dominant team in the East, just like Buffalo is in the AFC. But, yeah, it's, it's nice to see a lot of these young quarterbacks really stepping up their game. Let's talk about San Francisco. Their quarterback is not playing. And the the, the way this thing ended, John, so strange. Jimmy Garoppolo is a starting quarterback the rest of the season. San Francisco, that was a Jimmy Garoppolo who was given permission to make a deal so he could get out of San Francisco when they turned the job over to Trey Lance. Trey Lance has now been hurt and is gone for the season, has just had ankle surgery. So now Jimmy G is going to try to win for San Francisco. Uh, if they can keep him standing, and that's the big issue. I think his career record is 32-14 and 14 as a starter, but he's always been hurt. If Garoppolo can stay upright, not get hurt, and you combine his gritty leadership with the dynamics of Debo Samuel, the tough guy defense San Francisco plays, this could all work out. And I think the really unique aspect to this whole San Francisco storyline is they got a starting quarterback of this caliber for $6.5 Because if you recall, John, mm-hmm. he took a pay cut mm-hmm. to stay there. And they can't trade him. And they cannot franchise tag him. So Jimmy G is in a franchise year as a starting quarterback. So he, he's really got it in front of him. Go have a super season. Get another payday somewhere else. San Francisco's got a guy that doesn't kill him with a salary cap with a lot of experience. It's a weird story the way it ended up, but maybe something good comes out of something bad for San Francisco. You you normally don't say, 
we're going to do okay. We lost our starting quarterback. We're going to do okay. With this guy, you might do it. And his teammates are excited for him. They're happy to have him back because they, they believed in him last year. So good for Jimmy G. Not a good time in Cincinnati. Uh, this is a bit of a surprise to me. The Bengals spent $84 million in the offseason to bring in four offensive linemen, John, and none of them are playing well. Joe Burrow has been beaten and battered. Cincinnati is 0-2 out of the gate. Now, when you say 0-2, you say, well, maybe last year was a fluke. Now, I don't think it's a fluke. It's just the reality that he still doesn't have enough help in the offensive front. Get this stat. In two games, 13 sacks and 20 hits. Wow. He's going to wind up in the hospital. And they spent a lot of money to bring all these free agents in there. Lowell Collins came from Dallas. He's played terrible. Uh, they just... They got they got a bunch of time to fix it, but they got to fix it before this guy gets maimed. And he's doing everything he can. He threw for three thirty three last week. You know, he took seven sacks in one game, took six last week. I don't know if it's going to improve before he gets hurt. But boy, they just have not been able to get the right guys around him to protect him. Yeah, I mean he he's a young guy. He's an exciting quarterback. I love watching him. Just just I love the whole image of Joe Burrow smoking the cigar, you know, just you know enjoying the victory. So it was nice to see the Bengals have a good run last year because they're one of the teams in the NFL that's been downtrodden for decades. So it's it's disappointing that he's zero two. But yeah, are they going to turn the corner? We'll find out. Okay, let's talk college football for just a minute, uh, and we'll get started here in town at San Diego State. Aztecs off to a really rocky start, and that head coach is under fire. I'm talking about Brady Hoke. Uh, this, this whole issue, the cloud of the Matt Arises story is still out there and still unresolved. The inability for them to move the football on offense, the fact that they are starting three young guys in the offensive front who got destroyed by Pac-12 pass rushers mm-hmm. in the loss to Arizona, the loss to Utah. And then out of the clear blue sky... The transfer of the quarterback of the future in Will Haskell, which was a stunner for everybody. Haskell came off the bench when Braxton Burmaster got hurt again. He had three snaps, didn't execute anything, and they yanked him, which shocked me. It shocked everybody. And then they, they, they put the raw freshman, Kyle Crum, in, and mm-hmm. he struggled against Utah for a while. And then the fourth quarter, he let him on a touchdown drive when it was the Aztecs against Utah's backup guys. But huge controversy about why Brady Hoke can't develop quarterbacks and why Brady Hoke could not keep the blue-chip future guy in the program. Now, we don't know the full fabric of what's transpired there at San Diego State. Uh, I'm I, I hate to be critical because Brady Hoke has had such a nice run there since he came back, 31-18. and 18. But they've never developed a great offense And the reality is four starting quarterbacks in the last three years have now transferred out of San Diego State. That, to me, is a bad optic. That, to me, says they can't develop quarterbacks. Their philosophy of what they're going to do on offense isn't working in the big picture of things. And what is the relationship of quarterbacks to the head coach, to the coordinator? And Brady got all upset at the Tuesday press conference when I pressed him on the optics of what does that look like to you? He got really upset. And he came back came back at me with a statement that says, young players of today, if I'm not playing, I'm not staying. I guess there's a little bit of truth here. We don't know the rest of the story. Did, did Will Haskell not handle adversity very well? Did Will Haskell think 
he was entitled to be the starter? Was he offended when they went and got the Virginia Tech quarterback, Braxton Burmeister, for one more year? His parents whispering in his ear, you're the man. You should be starting. You're the man. So we don't know all the dynamics of what happened in the conversation, but Brady Hoke's taken a lot of hits. Jeff Hecklinski, his offensive coordinator, has taken a lot of hits. John, I might be the only one covering <laughs> the Aztecs that is of the opinion they were overscheduled. All their young offensive linemen got overwhelmed. Burmeister's had two injuries in three games because of all the hits he's taken trying to make plays. I'm the only one that I know of the opinion they can beat Toledo and they could probably run the table in the Mountain West Conference because based on what I've seen in the Mountain West, most of the conference is down. And the Aztecs calling card? Defense. So I'm, I'm saying it right now. San Diego State could beat Toledo, should beat Toledo. And if that happens... They go play a downtrodden Boise State team. Boise is not the same program. Granted, they still have to go to Fresno. But the rest of the, the conference is way down. Colorado State's got no quarterback at all. Nevada does not have a quarterback for some reason or all. Hawaii is downtrodden. San Jose has lost all of its guys. New Mexico has no offense at all based on Rocky Long's defense. That's what they're living off of. I think the Aztecs could run the table now. Maybe that... And I'm not a San Diego State graduate, you know, so I... That's what I think. I always tell Brady Hoke what I believe and what I think. So you tell me, agree or disagree, am I full of garbage or not? What happens at San Diego State? What's your reaction to what just happened at San Diego State? I mean, State? I was shocked that, that Will Haskell was pulled after one series. I was like, wow, what happened? There had to be a lot more going on behind the scenes that we don't know about. But but the Twitter is just on fire calling for Heklinski's head. Some people calling for a change at the top with with Brady Hoke. Um you know, when, when they got blown out in week one against Arizona, I was willing to say, you know, weird circumstances, 100 degrees, new stadium. But, man, it was embarrassing what happened at Utah. And you knew Utah was going to be great, but not it wasn't going to be that bad. Well, they didn't get a first down until the third quarter. So I'm hopeful. I'm always optimistic, glass half full. Uh, should they beat Toledo? Yeah, but what is it going to be, like 10 to 3? Is that what the score is going to end up being? We'll see. I know. One other college note, you know, if you don't win, you don't keep your job. And we've had two firings in two weeks, and I think there's at least a couple more still to come before we get to the middle of the football season. Uh, who is going to replace the fired Scott Frost at the University of Nebraska? And he was the first one that they jettisoned out. The next one could be Carl Durrell at Colorado, whose AD refused to give him a vote of confidence. And that could be followed immediately by Brian Harson of Auburn, who came from Boise State and has not been able to get the job done. And, of course, Arizona State hit the eject button on Herman Edwards yeah. in the middle of a lousy loss and this NCAA investigation. Mm -hmm. Here's the question. Would you hire this guy? This guy is Urban Meyer. This guy, great career. Utah, Florida, Ohio State. Burned himself to the ground in the NFL with Jacksonville. Wants to coach again. Would anybody take a run at this guy for the future? Nebraska, which has been down forever. Arizona State, which I tend to think is a sleeping giant. Colorado, no explanation to me as to why they could be so bad, considering the heritage of the program, the beauty of the campus, etc. Arizona State, underachieving program with great facilities and, for the most part, really, really good tradition. You're talking to the former, one of the former voices of the Sun Devils. Uh, and Auburn is Auburn, and they obviously need a change in direction. 
Would you get involved with that guy? Yeah, I would. I mean, especially if you're a program like Nebraska that had the history of all the national championships and then it just had a long, dry 20-year stretch of nothing. I mean, these teams are desperate for this kind of a leadership with that kind of cachet that can recruit good players. All right. Before we go to the next group of topics on the table, we apologize for doing a COVID broadcast, but we had a bit of an outbreak in master control. So we are doing COVID sports talk, but we are talking sports. Again, explain to all the people watching us on our live stream how they can get involved, John. Okay, well, you know, the fans forum is where you can get involved. We're already seeing some people chiming in, jumping in on Facebook and on YouTube. You can type in your questions, your comments. Maybe you have a hot take. you got a question for Hacksaw. Just type it in on YouTube or on Facebook. We'll see them here on our screen. And at the end of this podcast episode, we'll open up the fans forum for, for your questions and comments. Okay, now we got, we've talked baseball. We've talked football just around the corner next week. NBA training camps. What do you want to go with that? Oh, man. I mean, with uh, the NBA's opening up, I mean, there's all these new teams have repositioned themselves with all this new talent. And, of course, here in Southern California, we want to know what's going on with the Lakers. The Lakers are performing what I view as a chemistry experiment. You know, last year, the Lakers stockpiled their roster with a lot of older players, the Carmelo Anthony's of the world, and it didn't work out. Injuries had a lot to do with it, but it didn't work out. Well, they've got a lot of young guys, but in the last two weeks, they have brought in two veteran guards that I happen to think are alpha dog guys that change the chemistry of a game, that maybe push their teammates to be better. We start with the pest, Patrick Beverly, Mm -hmm. who really was a catalyst when he played for the Clippers to drive them into the playoffs. He left for free agency. Anyhow, he's come back. The Lakers got him in a trade from Utah. Patrick Beverly is an alpha dog. No doubt. They just went out and got a guy who was here a couple of years ago, Dennis Schroeder, who played really, really well in his role. Firepower guy, sometimes starter, sometime off the bench. Mm-hmm. They still have Russell Westbrook. Interesting to see if Darvin Ham can change the dynamics of what Westbrook is and make him fit whatever system they run. But I tend to think those two alpha dogs they just got in that deal, I think that changes the whole persona of Lakers basketball because these guys are doers on the floor. Yeah. Response? Yeah, I mean, they're role players that know what their, their job is. And they can disrupt the defense. Uh, I mean, so they can disrupt while on defense. And then they just kind of set it all up for the, for the big three stars to hopefully lead the team. But the Lakers were trying to trade Westbrook. I mean, I guess they got no traction. So they're going to go into the season with him, huh? They go into the season with him because they refuse to give up two future round draft picks to get somebody to take the $47 million contract. I also tend to think, though, that these two guys, Beverly and Schroeder, are going to push Westbrook. And if Westbrook has any professional pride left in the gas tank, he's going to respond with a new system and a new coach that's going to be in his face. Maybe they push Westbrook back to be what he was when he was a real complete star at Oklahoma City. But uh, I'm a huge believer in chemistry, and I think getting Pat Beverly and Dennis Schroeder, those are alpha dogs. Now, let's talk about the team that just continues to make trades. A lot of controversy. It's going to be an awful season in Salt Lake City. Danny Ainge is, is the new general manager of the Utah Jazz. He built the Boston Celtics into a pretty good franchise. 
He has gutted the team. Didn't like the team chemistry. Said guys didn't respect each other in Utah. Utah fell apart last season. So Rudy Gobert, the starting center, pretty good player, gets traded to Chicago for a pile of draft picks. Then they turn around and they spend the entire offseason shopping Donovan Mitchell, their all-star guard. He winds up at the last minute going to the Cleveland Cavaliers to get more draft picks and players back. And they just executed another trade of another starter. He's gotten rid of five veterans off that Utah Jazz team. Uh, Danny Ainge has stockpiled seven first-round draft picks, the ability to swap three other first-round picks to get higher first-round picks, and he's gotten two players that were first-round picks in this past spring's draft. Now, it's going to take them time. I think they're going to be awful this season. They might win 15 games, but he's got a blueprint. He did the exact same thing in Boston. And the Celtics came within two games of winning the NBA championship last season. So it'll be intriguing to see the patience of of Utah fans in Salt Lake City and how quickly they can stockpile those picks, flip them into quality players via the draft. But Danny Ainge has just turned that thing upside down in Utah. Yeah, I I like the move because, you know, if you know that you're not a championship-caliber team, there's no benefit in being middle of the pack or even – near the top. If you don't think you have a team that can win the championship, then you just have to shuffle the deck and reload. And I think the way the Ainge did it was brilliant. I mean, coming up with all these first-round picks, they could be loaded, you know, going into the the remainder of the decade and beyond. All right, let's talk about the controversial story in the NBA and the Dateline as the Valley of the Sun in Phoenix. Robert Sarver is selling the team. This came days after that guy, Adam Silver, completed an NBA investigation in a toxic workplace situation. One-year suspension, $10 million fine. Big issue, why was he not forced to sell the team, considering what Robert Sarver did as it relates to his interaction with his employees' toxic workplace? Why he was not disciplined like Donald Sterling was disciplined Mm -hmm. with the Clippers, who was forced to sell for a history of being a bad owner. Well, Adam Silver said we could not remove him. Well, then the players took over. And Chris Paul, star guard, Phoenix Suns, dropping hints. You didn't do enough. We're going to do something. LeBron James was critical. A number of other NBA veterans were critical that the NBA league office should have expelled this guy from the game. Chris Paul started dropping hints. We won't play for him. We won't come to camp. Good. They're going to have a revolt. Because that's the exact same thing happened when suddenly Donald Sterling disappeared as the owner. Because Clipper players at that point said, mm-hmm. we are not going to play for this man. Yeah. Now it's up to the league office to solve the situation. Well, Sarver announced on Wednesday he's putting the franchise up for sale. Uh, but the, the stuff was so severe in terms of the investigation. They interviewed 320 Suns employees over a 17-year period. 101 people testified that their lives and their careers were impacted by the way Robert Sarver interacted with the employees, whether it's a racist comment, a sexual innuendo, whether it's it's the battering emotionally of employees for not doing the job he demanded they do. So he's gone. He's going to make a mega profit. He paid $184 million for the franchise. They're going to sell it for probably $2.1 or $2.4 billion dollars but bad guy out and the players are the ones that forced this because they kept dropping hints you're opening nba camps 
we're not coming to camp if he's yeah. still owning the team. Wow. Wow, exactly. And, and I mean, of all the professional sports leagues, the NBA is the one that's most socially aware. They're the ones that, you know, they understand what's going on in society and trying to have a good face, you know, when it comes to racial issues, gender issues, et cetera. I mean, heck, they're trying to promote the whole WNBA. And he's an owner of the WNBA franchise as well. So it's just amazing that these kinds of ingrates still exist. So good on the play. Players for for pushing the issue and forcing the guy out because it's just uncalled for. I mean, this is 2022. I mean, we got to move beyond all this BS. Speaking of the WNBA sidebar story that has just kind of broken, uh, we have talked about the whole Brittany Griner situation, still political prisoner in, mm-hmm. in Russia. Twelve top WNBA players who were in Russia last year when she played have rejected contracts of a million dollars and up are not going back to Russia to play while she's still a political prisoner. That's pretty interesting. Now, there are other pro leagues for women around the country, France, Italy, Spain. But 12 WNBA stars have rejected contract offers to go play in Russia this year, the outcome of the Brittany Griner story. A couple of other sports stories for you. We are getting ready for World Cup soccer. Uh, Team USA has all of its players now back in training. Uh, They have their final two friendly matches, Japan this weekend, Saudi Arabia early next week, and then they go on to Qatar for the November World Cup of soccer. And the big story is Christian Pulisic is on the team. He has left Chelsea on loan to go play for Team USA. Now, we had talked prior about the fact that Pulisic was not a starter in Chelsea, and the coach, the manager, Tom Tuchel, did not like him. And to the detriment of of Chelsea, he didn't play very much. And this is a guy who has kind of carried Team USA into the World Cup qualifying. Uh, Tuchel, by the way, was fired last week, which is that's a bit of a surprise after kind of a substandard start. But they're a young team. Team USA is together as they've begun training in Europe. Like I said, they're playing Japan in one game, and then they're going to play Saudi Arabia in the final friendly. So you got Pulisic, you got Weston McKenney is now totally healthy. Uh, they just recalled Ricardo Pepe, the young 19-year-old star. Mm-hmm. A little bit over his head, but at times shows burst. They think, well, this kid's got a real future in front of him. The only problem that Team USA's got, even though Pulisic is back, is they got some problems on the back end in goal because of injuries. And they don't know how healthy Matt Turner is from the New England Revolution. He's playing in the English Premier League, but has hardly played at all. And then Zach Steffen, the other keeper, has been slow to come back from knee problems. So there's some questions in goal as they... Get ready for this final group of friendlies. But I tell you, I, I know soccer people everywhere, and I write about it on my website. And people cannot wait for the World Cup in Qatar. Yeah, I mean, it's coming up in November, right? Uh, so this is going to be great. I mean, we, we missed the World Cup last time. It was an embarrassment uh, that you, Team USA wasn't in the in the tourney. But I'm excited. I mean, I'm, I always love this tournament. It just it gets Americans 
into soccer and they, they can maybe appreciate why it is a global sport. And so um, I'm excited. I'm happy Pulisic is back. And, and Zach Steffen, isn't he? I think he's the backup for Man City. Um, and he's a very talented guy. So hopefully he can come in and, and play keeper and, and let's see what happens. And final topic on the table before we go to the fans forum has to do with golf. Uh, PGA season is complete. Uh, LIV is still out there. Back in the news. Uh, let's start first of all with the fact that there are 30 players who left the Pro Tour to go play in the Saudi Super League. Nobody's watching the LIV tournaments, despite the fact that Phil Mickelson is there and Dustin Johnson is there, and then they stole Cam Smith, the British Open winner, right at the end, and Brooks Kepka is there. Nobody's paying attention to it. Uh, the antitrust lawsuit is still out there. Um, as it relates to the guys on the tour right now, the latest development is that Greg Norman has come to the U.S. and is meeting with a Congressional Oversight Committee. And they are discussing the business model that LIV is operating under. And the biggest question is all this guaranteed money, bribing all these players to go abroad and to play in these LIV tournaments. Is it legal? Is it right? Morally, ethically, financially? Greg Norman is meeting with Congress. Greg Norman was asked, while you're here in the States, will you meet with Jay Monahan, the PGA commissioner, to talk about some type of truce, to see if there's a way to make the sides come together? Would you allow your guys to come back and play in PGA events? He said, absolutely not. He said, I am not talking to them. And, of course, Greg Norman and the LIV have filed the antitrust lawsuit against the PGA Tour. The other angle to this is what's just happened. Phil Mickelson, who was one of the first ones to jump in a very controversial move, has withdrawn his name from the antitrust lawsuit. Now, Mickelson at first said, hey, I was right. They didn't share all their money with us for a long period of time. Here came the LIV, and now suddenly the PGA is pouring a ton of money into prize purses for the guys that are still on the pro golf tour. I was right. And the second thing is now he is asking the PGA Tour to meet with Greg Norman and find some working relationship. But I don't think Jay Monahan wants to meet with Norman. I don't think Norman wants to meet with them. And Phil Mickelson, who's not played well at all, He's got a sixth-place finish, and the rest of his finishers in the tours have been anywhere between 35 and 48. Phil Mickelson says we need to find peace. Now, to me, that's a little bit hypocritical because he's the one that triggered this whole thing right. by going for all the guaranteed money. But his response was, see, I told you they had all this money they were hoarding and sitting on. Now they're finally sharing it, but all of our guys have left. So I'm not sure where this is going to go going forward, but neither side wants to talk right now. And your reaction? Well, I mean, there's two parts to the story, right? I mean, on one side, the economics of it, you can't blame the players for switching from a purely economic perspective because of the, the better opportunity for the players. The more financial payout, the purses are bigger. They pay down line much further. But it's kind of like when you're talking about uh, Brittany Griner in, in Russia and the other WNBA players refusing to sign contracts to play in Russia because they disagree morally, politically with what's going on in that nation. I just wish we saw more PGA golfers do the same thing that have that were in it for more than just the money that saw that, you know, aligning themselves with the LIV and all the BS that's 
connected to that is something that is frankly the wrong thing to do. So it's just a mess. Is Mickelson going to bring us back together and have a marriage? I don't know. Um, but you know, when you've got how many left? You said thirty-five players. Of Thirty left. total. Thirty total. I mean, the PGA is just wrecked from that. I mean, they've got to get their house organized, and hopefully, the PGA can step up and just kind of solve it by putting, you know, allotting the money the right way. Okay, because of the fact we put all these topics on the table, told us what you think. Let's open up the fans forum. You got some viewers and listeners like to be part of this conversation, John. Yeah, we got a couple of people chiming in here. So uh, here's uh, one from uh, Dallas Paul's. Hi, Hacksaw. All right, some people happy to see you here online. Um, Steve Zach, uh, Botsford. Josh Allen is a beast. I mean, I think a lot of people just really recognize the talent that that quarterback has. Dallas, good to have you with us. We're, we do this every Thursday. And when we wrap up, we'll tell you about where you can get access to the other things that we're doing. Uh, in terms of Josh Allen, Steve, uh, he's, he was a star at Wyoming. He was really an uncut gem. He was big. He was physical. He was wild. Uh, he was a young quarterback learning on, on the go. They got him to Buffalo, and they defined his talents and how he would fit and what they needed him to do, making decisions. And that's the big issue is he is not putting balls into coverage he should not throw. He's not throwing across his body when he gets in trouble just to get the, try to get the ball to somebody where it's going to get picked. I mean, his turnover rate is way down compared to where it was as a rookie. And now they've really put good people around him. There are a couple of guys deep at running back. They've never had a running game when he first got there. Obviously, the acquisition of Stephon Diggs has made a huge difference because that's a big-time player. Dallas Knox is an unheralded, really good tight end. And they got young wide receivers that he can throw to. And by the way, Josh Allen will run the football and not be afraid to run over you along the way, <laughs> although I don't want him out of the pocket a ton of times. Right. But when he needs to run... He will run. He is so, so gifted. Yeah, I mean, the transformation from what we saw um, him playing up in Laramie to what he is today is amazing. So you got to really credit the coaching staff in Buffalo. They've, they've turned this guy into one of the top-tier quarterbacks in the league. Okay, got any, any others that want to fire questions at us here? Here's Steve Zach Botsford, one more he's got. I hope Herbie plays Sunday. If I were king, I don't think I'd play him. I'd rather have him closer to 100% healthy for 14 games than risk him taking a hit right now and losing him because if he gets blasted, he could get hurt again. And again, go back to what I said earlier about Justin Herbert. Flak jacket will protect him. Shoot him up with a painkiller. That's commonplace around the league. But because of the heavy flak jacket and his inability to stretch to make all these different yeah. throws, yeah. he won't be 100% to execute the playbook. You know there's a risk he's going to get hit. And what if he has to run? He could get pounded. I'd rather be safe than sorry. I think they can win against a downtrodden Jacksonville team with Chase Daniel. And you have the quarterback another week off to get ready for the final 14 games of the season. Risk versus reward. But is one week enough time? I mean, how, how long is this injury going to take to recover from? We don't know because they won't ask, answer the questions. One rib injury, one piece of cartilage, or are we talking three ribs? Because when he went down on that helmet, ooh. yeah. so I, we don't know the specifics. 
of how many ribs were damaged. But cartilage takes time to come back. It, it, it's not an easy injury. So I'd, I always err on the side of a player's health. Hey, listen, we hope you've enjoyed what we're doing. We apologize for the masks. We had a COVID outbreak and master control, but hope you enjoyed what we've brought to you. We're here every Thursday. And we remind you, please check my website, leehacksawhamilton.com. All written commentary every day of the week. And, of course, be with us every Thursday for our podcast. For John Riley, our co-host, hope you enjoyed what we did today. Have yourself a great sports weekend. We'll talk to you next Thursday. Join us again for Hacksaw's Headlines on YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter. And find the audio version on your favorite podcast app. For more content, go to LeeHacksawHamilton.com.